Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. In this episode, my guest is Leslie Stein, the author of Becoming Whole, Young's Equation for Realizing God. Professor Stein trained as a Jungian analyst at the C.G. Young Institute in New York and is in private practice in Sydney, Australia. His books include Working with Mystical Experiences in Psychoanalysis, The Self in Jungian Psychology, Eastern Practices and Individuation, and many others. In this episode, you can expect to learn the meaning of individuation, how to think about the search for wisdom, the role of the ego in daily life, Common Obstacles to Understanding the Self, Wisdom in Daily Life, and much more. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think you will as well. Without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Professor Leslie Stein. First and foremost, I want to say less welcome, uh, but also just a deep appreciation for taking the time to connect. I, I'm really excited to to chat with you today. Terrific. I'm all set. All right. And today we're discussing your book, Becoming Whole, Young's Equation for Realizing God. But before we get into that book specifically, we generally start with a question of how you initially came to have an interest in maybe in this situation, Jungian psychology? Yeah, well, it, um, my original profession was as a, uh, as a lawyer, and uh, I was a, uh, a prof- became a professor of law. I was at the University of Toronto. This is uh, in the early 80s, and uh, decided to take a sabbatical and uh, went to uh, Australia, where I am now. And uh, because of some difficulties I was having, I went to see a therapist who was a a Jungian analyst, but not just another therapist, but rather one of uh, Carl Jung's original students. Hmm. And uh, I worked with her to deal with my own issues at the time, and then began to trained with her and went to other institutes to fill in some academic courses. And uh, there was something in that, um, what Jung was expressing, that uh, really had a sort of, uh, even though he denied being a mystic, but had a mystical tone to me. Um, And it coincided with a trip that I took uh, on behalf of the United Nations to uh, India. and in that trip, uh, I was sent to work on the, because my area of expertise was to do with urban planning law, I was sent to Varanasi, India, um, where I got my first taste that there was something other than uh, what I had thought existed as a, uh, as a lawyer and as a, uh, being brought up in, in the Bronx in New York. Um, and it just seemed to actually address that in a way which uh, uh, seemed to address that quality that was in India, of sort of a mystery that was uh, uh, needed to be unfolded. And when I, uh, after I did that training, um, I became a Jungian analyst, a psychoanalyst, but didn't immediately practice that because I had a lot more to be done uh, in terms of trying to help out uh, deprived groups um, um, to become a uh, sort of environmental lawyer and so on. And I returned to it again um, eventually in the, uh, in the 90s to, um, uh, to make it my full-time life and to leave the other behind, um, mm-hmm. even though I still keep an interest in the effect of um, um, cities on mental health. So my interest in Jung has been uh, for a long, long time. And what happened with that book was that 
um, the person I was seeing, a, a woman called Rick Weaver, um, would always say to me that uh, Ibn Arabi, who was a uh, Sufi, uh, spoke the same language as Jung, but in different words. I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, she often uh, would say, I can't see you next week. I'm going on a week-long retreat, um, although she didn't leave her home because she was disabled at the time. Um, nevertheless, she'd be calling people in the in Turkey, and I don't know what she was doing. She never told me. Um, and then I came across this uh, formula of Jung's, and um, that led me to look at it from both sides. But my interest in Jung has been, uh, I guess, uh, uh, 40 years I've had that interest. Going to that particular Jungian analyst back then, was that... Um just good fortune, or how do you do? How do you make sense of that? Well, I didn't know what that was at the time, so mm. um, um, I always look at these things as um, you know, something moving us in the right direction. Um, I don't look at things as just coincidence. Um, so I felt at the time, well, that's what I needed to begin to approach the idea that there was something more to me than just my intellectual mind. Um, the way to do that was to go to someone who was um, the kind of person who was deeply connected with their own spirit. Mm. And uh, so, I, I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't begin to say what did it, but I've always looked at it as, uh, as the miracle that it was. And uh, uh, in a sense, not really of my doing. I was just sort of sent there. I'm always curious, and generally we we start with this similar question. And maybe it's around the search part of this in search of wisdom, and then we we wrap up with this what is what is wisdom question. But how do you make sense of this search for for wisdom? Like to give you a bit of context, and also for the listeners of. Many guests on the show that maybe have spent, you know, decades on silent retreat and all sorts of stuff. And like yourself, you know, four four decades now of this interest in young and it's still going. Maybe it's um evolved and changed over over time. But how do you make sense of of maybe a particular moment or series of moments that send someone on some sort of search, if you will. You know, in, in all, um, almost in every religion, there's this idea that there's a guide. The Holy Spirit is an example of that. In Hinduism, there's the Atma. There's the idea that something is working through us. Ralph Waldo Emerson called it the Oversoul. Uh, Borges, the writer, called it the Allah. Something within us which actually is seeking itself. And um, so much of the search actually um, is mental in a way. We're always sort of dissatisfied, looking for more, hoping we'll get somewhere. But the search is uh, the only way I approach it is that the search is not my search, it's a the search of consciousness trying to refine itself and uh, therefore it's striving everybody along the way uh, there's not a person even you, you look at the uh, bad example uh, but i often use it the coronavirus i mean it kept on improving and improving and improving well what made it improve you could say evolution but then you say well what's what's behind that so i feel that the the search is part of the attempt by uh, that sort of higher aspect of ourselves to keep on refining ourselves and itself um, for the purpose of bringing greater consciousness. Now, you know, if, if in fact it was just me who was saying this, and, you know, you'd say nice theory, nice, you know, but uh, as I said, this is, this is the whole notion of the Holy Spirit, that there's something there which actually is a guide, or people often refer to in therapy, that there was like a, you know, there could have been their great grandfather appeared to them in a dream, or 
um, or their, uh, uh, there was something that had a hand on their shoulder. It's the idea that we're all being led somewhere. So I, I know it's not uh, a simple answer, but I take that search as uh, a search that it's like being on a train. I got on it, and now I got it's taking me wherever it needs to go. I'm not the one who's actually guiding the search. But I feel everybody, even people who deny it or who are materialists or who are scientists, at some point or other come across a kind of miracle. I work with a lot of people as they're dying. and Sometimes people say, well, geez, I feel a bit different now as if there's something in me that's sort of really trying to help me along with this period of my life. I think at everybody, at every point of, uh, at some point in their existence, will actually feel that they're being guided. And to me, that's proof enough. Plus, I hear dreams all the time, and I'm just totally amazed at their uh, mystery and how they come about. So I think people, everybody's on a search. Some people, for developmental reasons, can't actually uh, have other things to deal with, uh, complex trauma. Um, depression, um, uh, but even they are sort of searching to get out of it, and in that search, that's their way of refining themselves. So I think it's universal. However, I'll just tell you a quick a quick story. Uh, I went to the what was called the Kumbha Mela in India, two thousand and one, which was uh, fifty million people in uh, in India, and at the end, they. Uh, um, I was standing there, dipping in the water between the two rivers that came together, soaking wet and taking the holy dip. And um, a naked monk came up to me and grabbed me by the shoulders, and he said to me, it's time to call off the search. And I think what he meant by that is it's not a mental process. It's not a sort of something to be obtained. It's not something I can you know, put on my wall as a trophy. That's the search that has to be called off. Mm-hmm. And it has to be instead moved to that aspect in you, which is just taking you along the way. So you don't mm-hmm. mentally have to search. It'll take you. That's so interesting. I, I really appreciate the the background less in, in that story. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a, a fair question, but I, I'm curious to ask while we're on this um, this idea of a Jungian analysis, how do you think that might be different from, say, traditional therapy? I, and maybe traditional is not the right word, but other modes of therapy. You think there's so many different types. Sure. Is is there anything that comes to mind around that? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, a lot of the um, forms of therapy are to deal with pathology, you know, sort of treatment for PTSD, intervention in a marriage which is falling apart, um, attempts to uh, cure depression. I think the Jungian enterprise is really uh, meant to ask a bigger question, which is, uh, who are you actually really? What's going on? What's behind what you think is going on? What's there which makes you the person that you are? Um, so therefore, Jung's reliance on what's called, what he called the unconscious, which means those things which are within you, which you don't know. Um, and often that comes through with dreams or projections or fantasies or stories which a person will bring. So, for instance, if somebody has a, a dream about uh, uh, a man who's uh, uh, in a room with them, but the man's uh, lying on the ground and can't get up, what we treat that as, you know, where did that come from except from their own hidden material to indicate to them, look, there's an aspect of you, which is that. There it is. There's an aspect of you which is sleeping, doesn't want to face the world. Um, so... That's what the analysis is about. Sure, you know, people who are psychologists and Jungian analysts um, often orient themselves to fixing the pathology, especially, but the Jungian enterprise is that the pathology will be uh, absorbed as you go and find out more about who you are, what your ancestors have talked to you about, 
um, that are coming through. Um, why do you actually have this low opinion of yourself? Maybe your parents didn't necessarily give it to you, but that's part of your whole ancestral story that, that's there. The, the family karma that's carried out. So the idea of Jungian analysis is depth psychology, to go deeper and deeper into those aspects of what's hidden, the darker aspects, what Jung called the shadow, um, to start bringing those out and then getting different levels of peace that come from expanding your uh, that ego part of yourself um, and beginning to see that there's something else called the self, which is exactly what that book was about. The self being a central point within us, which uh, it's been already found by neurobiologists that we have such a thing in the brainstem, attempted homeostasis, at balance, at centering. And that part's constantly working to actually bring things to it so you can begin to realize that it's operating within you. But there's something, imagine what it'd be like if you actually didn't have to worry so much about all the things you're worrying about, but rather that was actually carrying you along, taking you somewhere. So the realization of that self um, is really what uh, Jung was on about in order to find a, a balance point between all the conflicting things that you have. So it's a different process. It could be the same, because as if somebody comes and they're depressed, of course you're working with that, but you don't work with it in terms of, uh, you know, try and breathe this way or try and do that, but rather let's go deeply into the sources of all that, the family story, the what the unconscious is saying in dreams, what your projections are towards other people, why you dislike that person for a reason you don't know, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's how I see it. Well, beautiful. And we typically start by maybe defining or unpacking a few terms. And there, there's a number of them. You, me you mentioned a, a couple already, but I have a, a, a few notes here, and, and maybe right. we could spend this first portion talking about a, a few. And the first one is individuation. How would you, you know, introduce that, that particular term to the listeners? Well, if you think of the moment that all of us are basically coming out of a kind of um, uh, small S self, a kind of conglomeration of thoughts and memories. That's what we see who we are. But the process of individuation is to begin to assay what's not uh, visible in that spectrum and begin to look at all these things at the depth, um, at the depth level. Um, so we begin to see the weakness that we are, the sort of uh, brutality that we might have, uh, and the more that happens, the more we become an individual. So individuation is sort of a greater awareness of all aspects of ourselves. Because once they come forward and they're accepted as part of us, they lose a bit of their sting. These, what you can call complexes, these sort of uh, uh, emotional balls of sort of... Uh, issues that we have, a father complex, a mother complex, things about the failure of parents to live up to some ideal, all of that begins to get worked out and therefore our own individuality expanded. So individuation is I think, making more of who we are as an individual, becoming fully an individual, individuated. Let me, let me read something that, um, that uh, you write here. It says, the self becomes through the individuation process, the point of reference that permits the material of the ego to be understood. The search for the self is therefore a significant aspect of the individuation process, which you've touched on. Maybe could you say more there and, and talk sure. a little bit about the ego and you know what what does that mean and, and maybe the shadow as well, if you can. Sure. Well, we all, we all need an ego. I mean, we need some strength of an ego in order to sort of uh, deal with some of the darkness and uh, aspects of ourselves. <clears throat> um, 
But the idea is that this notion of a self is really meant to indicate that similar to um, the God within, uh, the Atman, or the Holy Ghost, and, and so on, the Ruach, uh, Kabbalah, um, all of these things, this force is, is in us. And when we give over to that, when we begin to accept that that exists and we can see it play out in our lives, then what happens is we become less of an ego and more of a whole person. We begin to see other aspects of ourselves. We begin to accept shadow aspects of ourselves. I remember first shadow aspect that I was um, with, uh, my analyst. Uh, it was a figure in the dream that was sort of uh, sneaking around in the background. And she said, well, that's you. I go, oh, no, 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 that, that's not me. I'm, a, you know, I'm not sneaky and all that. But of course it is. We all have that quality. And seeing the shadow and beginning to uh, understand leads us to, understand, to also see that there's something working there, bringing this stuff up for us, um, exposing new things. Uh, when we think we've sort of worked things out in our head, but we haven't really, there's more to actually see. And it's the self, which is like a magnet, which, as Jung expresses it, drawing things to itself to help us understand the totality of, of, uh, of what we're dealing with. Um, now, of course, a lot of these words and phrases that I'm using are, uh, are part of the language of Jungian psychoanalysis. But in plain terms, trying to avoid that kind of uh, uh, language, what we're seeking to do is to just accept ourselves, accept mm -hmm. all aspects of ourselves, and as we do, we also have to accept that there's something that's a mystery in us, which uh, we don't actually understand, which finds us in a situation where we didn't expect to be, presents opportunities and takes away opportunities, um, and uh, creates uh, chaos, but also joy. We begin to see that, we see the action of the self. And when you accept that, if you think just for a moment what it would be like, then the most you can do it when situations arise is just have a laugh. Okay, now one of my this is the next thing. That's thanks for that one. Okay, oh now I won this award. Okay, well that's you know, that's pumping up my ego a bit. Okay, oh now I see what's going on. Yeah. That's thank you for that lesson. And mm. so on. I uh, I made a couple notes and of everything reading, and I, I'm kind of thinking about previous conversations on the podcast, and mm. more. I'm thinking more about uh, maturity. This thing of of becoming mature, and you know that uh, connecting with uh, wisdom, and it it seems to me as hearing you talk and, and reading through your book, which I, I really found fascinating, such a such an interesting read, that, you know, this thing of becoming mature and words like letting go or acceptance or surrender, there's so many of these synonyms that come up across wisdom traditions. You know, what comes up for you around, you know, just uh, maturing as a as a human? Well, I feel that the, the mystery that I'm calling it is very serious um, because it's a, uh, a profound space that goes beyond our sort of thoughts. You know, sometimes when you walk in a church, you'll, you know, you'll feel the solemnity of the whole thing, the fact that it's, uh, it's not sort of uh, light and fun as much as it has a sort of solemn nature in, in, in the God of that church. Uh, I've come across it in, um, in Sufi shrines. I've come across it sort of uh, other kinds of holy places. So therefore, there has to be a beginning to actually accept that it's serious. It's not boring and not sort of like a, you know, a serious... Uh, whole uh, priest who's uh, 
you know, sort of retiring and bored with the whole thing. It's uh, it's serious in the sense that it's a uh, it's a, a reality beyond our understanding, and we have to respect it. Mm. And the surrender comes only by um, giving consent to wanting to go deeper and explore more. At any point, you can get off the train, you know, the next stop before it reaches its destination, using that analogy. My view is that if you continuously just say, okay, I, I accept I accept that, I understand that that's an aspect of me, and as to the mystery, I have great respect for it. It's mm-hmm. solemn, it's real, and it's, uh, who knows what it is. I mean, you know, you could call it God or you could call it sort of, uh, by any name, but evolution, you could say it is, or you could say God's will, or, you know, the Atman and us uh, aspect of the Brahman uh, contained in your heart, or uh, you could say it's one of the layers of soul, or whatever, but it doesn't matter what you call it, because it's, in some traditions you can't even, uh, under the name of God, you know, it's way beyond you. So therefore, I think maturity comes when you begin to see that it's, you uh, uh, not that it's there. I had a good experience. I had, a, you know, psilocybin and, uh, you know, which is fine, but I, I saw this sort of image and so on. But to understand that it's behind it all is this, you know, something coming through, something pushing it, um, for, I feel for its own realization as a conclusion that Jung actually came to when he said we're basically the vehicles through which the gods move in his uh, essay called Answer to Job, it's about, uh, you know, that God has to actually, or whatever it is, has to manifest through us. But I feel that maturity, that maturity comes um, when you keep on, you know, you said letting go and so on. But I think that my better word for that is uh, when you consent to letting it take you, it listens. There's no mm-hmm. doubt that it listens. I often say to people, I say, well, I'll consent. They say, yeah, but you can make a subject to conditions. You could say, okay, I consent, but please don't give me cancer. Uh, or mm. I consent, but, uh, you know, don't get me in a car accident or you know, whatever. But um, you can have a dialogue with us, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, it's the process of consenting, which I think is the most, makes it a sign of maturity. Do you connect this? mystery, consent, acceptance with maybe getting more comfortable with ambiguity, uncertainty, not knowing, things like that? Absolutely. And that's well expressed. Yeah, absolutely. Just, um, you know, just accepting that these things, you don't like all the things that happen to you, believe me, but nevertheless, just accepting that you can't figure out what's going on. He just let go. It was the, you know, in the uh, in the book of Job, the, the very last line, um, when just before Job or just after Job says to God, "Why are you doing this to me? Why have you tortured me and uh, destroyed me?" and God answers, and but not his question, and says, "Look, I've created the heavens and I've created the uh, um, everything." And Job's final line says, I'm comforted that I am dust. Uh, He's comforted by the idea that he's, first of all, been addressed by God, but also that he's he's dust, that he's just another person passing through um, on the way to possibly, it doesn't look like it, but on the way to possibly increasing the consciousness of humanity or through the experiment that's humanity. Somebody once said, well, if that's the case, how come all these things are going wrong? And, you know, why, you know, why do we have this violence and terror? And, um, you know, if you look at it that way, it's sort of like God or what a mystery, whatever it is, experiment how to actually get humanity to sort of increase its consciousness. Let's try this out. Okay. Well, it didn't work. How about we'll try that one out and so on. Um, so, um, I think. Um, that you're totally right in your way. You have to get comfortable with ambiguity, with not knowing, uh, accepting. You know, looking at the uh, James Webb 
pictures and going, I have no idea what's going on. Mm. That's the healthy attitude towards it, I believe. Do you think there's a, you know, obviously you've worked with, with many people over the decades. Uh, is there a good entry point, a starting point into, you know, some of this stuff? Um, and, and again, maybe that's not a fair question because it all depends on the situation and we're all so different and things like that. But even say this, uh, the self, the shadow, things like that, acceptance, you know, how do you think about maybe a, an on-ramp? I think there are probably a million on-ramps. <laughs> yeah. There's, nice. no, there's no one on-ramp. Every yeah. one of your uh, podcasts is an on-ramp. And I, I think really, if the process, you know, it doesn't mean you have to go the union way and sort of, you know, uh, go see an analyst, nor do you have to sort of uh, sit for 40 years and meditate, or, or uh, nor do you have to travel to anywhere in particular. But I think the uh, idea of saying, okay, well, I'm interested in this mystery. Um, mm. um, just please take me where I need to go. Mm. Um, but never at any point saying, okay, I got it now. Oh, phew, that's what it is. Or making ridiculous statements like, uh, you know, I want to be enlightened. Or enlightened mm. to me is uh, like Ramana Maharshi, who's sort of was so enlightened that uh, bugs were eating a sore on his leg and he didn't you know, pay attention to his body. I mean, I've seen, I've been everywhere in India, visiting sadhus and monks and into the Himalayas and so on. I finally uh, stopped going up and seeing them when I came across somebody who was in the building next to me in the Bronx. And uh, he was sitting there in the middle of the Himalayas in a cave with me, waiting for some mud to come out. And we thought, let's go. Let's get out of here, you know. We need to go back. We actually went to Calcutta and into Continental Hotel and had a hamburger each, so <laughs> just to ground us back. I just think you just just consent and they'll take you, just say, yes, I want that journey, but I want it with some limitations, but I want that journey. Would you please take me? And I think you definitely will be answered. That message you received of call off the search mm. um you know i'm curious and I, I was thinking of this you know thing that's come up on the on the podcast before from the bhagavad gita this idea of right. letting go of the of the fruits if you will you know embarking on a search for the for its own sake how do we know if you know, say someone is, is, is coming to you or anyone listening, you know, how do we differentiate maybe a, a search from striving or grasping terms that might come up in, in wisdom traditions? I don't think you actually can. Um, now, when I've been in, uh, spent so much time in India and there were a group of people sort of meditating and uh, but the moment they were finished meditating, they were sort of uh, uh, getting involved in uh, all sorts of different uh, nefarious activities. And you began to think <clears throat> that it'll take you anywhere. You don't know where it's going to go. If you say, uh, you know, if you even if you believe uh, like one percent in the fact that there's a mystery of things, and you say to that one percent, "Okay, come on, let's you know, let's get going on this trip. Let's take me somewhere," then actually stopping at any point and saying, "Well, that's it. I can get off the train now. I figured it out," um, is a mistake. And actually saying, "Well, now I understand it all," that's a mistake. Um, mm -hmm. But just continuing along from the moment that you start that trip to the very end and the mystery of death as well. So sometimes it's important to call off the mental search of trying to sort of read more books, you know, become a Buddhist, become a, you know, whatever, join a group. I've done all that. Join a cult and sort of, uh, you know, uh, travels to the Himalayas or, uh, 
Amalias, as they're called, and, um, or go to Bodh Gaya or sort of go on a retreat. And, no, that's fine. That's, that's all fine. But it's manifesting something. It's something's trying to come forward. So not concluding your previous question is, I think, the only way to sort of um, um, stop a particular search. Like, I mean, there I was, uh, you know, just in a loincloth uh, in the middle of 50 million other people. Of course, you know, it's obvious. Call off the search. What are you doing? You know, you're a kid <laughs> from the Bronx to home, you know. <laughs> um, what, are you, what are you looking for here? What can you get? I always relate that, uh, that joke for, uh, to others who talk about this, about the man on his hands and knees uh, under a streetlight. And somebody comes along and says, what are you doing? He said, oh, I lost my keys. He said, well, where'd you, where'd you lose it? He said, I, I lost them back over there, but there's light over here. <laughs> so looking in the wrong place, we all look in the wrong place. So therefore, for me, the only answer is to just let go, just consent. Let it see where it takes you. If it takes you to meditate and takes you to go to a retreat, fine. Um, so, but calling off the search means stopping looking for a particular thing which you think you know you're going to get because you can't know what that possibly could be. I'm, I'm curious to ask, um, I think a, maybe a reoccurring question that, that comes up is what might be some common obstacles? So if you think of this, the project of becoming whole, what are a couple you know, common obstacles that might uh, come up? Well, I think the um, the biggest obstacle, I mean, I'm talking about people that don't have developmental issues here who aren't so uh, suffering in a way with uh, illnesses and eating disorders and uh, things like that. But we're talking psychologically. What are the psychological barriers? And, and again, leaving aside sort of, uh, you know, uh, ancestral views of whether or not you're any good or, you know, or whether or not you should be guilty and so on. I think the biggest um, problem is inflation of the ego. What actually happens is, let's say you go along somewhere and you go to a retreat and you meditate for 10 days, like what a Vipassana retreat or something, and you come out and you're really chilled and everybody says, oh, you've changed, you know, you're really, you know, you're much quieter than you normally are and you seem sort of more peaceful. And you say to yourself, yeah, you know, I'm really, I've really changed, you know, I've sort of, and you start inflating that aspect of yourself, you know, I'm sort of, I really know what I'm doing now. Oh, that person is a guru. I'm going to go with that person because I somehow understand that that person is enlightened. So I'm going to follow that. Um, but you have no idea what you're doing. You know, you're just kind of trying to get that kind of inflation, uh, inflate yourself. So I think that's the most difficult aspect of the, uh, of the so-called path. But again, as I see it, um, you know, that's what happens. You've got to, you know, that's what you needed to learn. You know, you needed, you needed to try and become a guru in your own right. It's an interesting thing, and um, some of the various gurus that I've, uh, I've uh, wise people that I've visited in India over many years, uh, I, I look to see where where might they be now, and they all seem to have websites with donation buttons. Now. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well that's that's where that went. Or you see YouTube sort of gurus who, uh, without mentioning names, who set up. Have very clear, legitimate teachings, uh, but nevertheless become godlike. They become the wise people who know everything. They might know, I accept, more than I would, or they might be much more advanced down the path, but they turn themselves into an inflated figure. And we see that with so many problems with, uh, you know, uh, well known Chagim Trungpa and others who've, you know, who've, uh, Sai Baba and people, I don't know if it's true or not, but have been accused of sort of abusing their power. Um, but all of that just part of the whole experiment of the whole thing. Uh, but one should be aware that that's 
the moment you get inflated and no, rather than just saying, I've got no idea, mm-hmm. uh, then I'm just think I'm just going along this way and it's taking me and I feel that in me and I can see that in my dreams. But um, the moment you actually conclude and think, well, that's the answer. I know what I'm doing. Um, I'm going to be enlightened. I'm going to be whatever. Then you, then you're going to, kind of, you know, wind up in a sort of uh, dead end for a while before you can figure that out and get back out. But can't mm-hmm. stop it in many ways. Again, that's part of the whole path. Is that what you mean when you said we need an ego? Like we need the ego to sign up for the 10 day retreat, if you will? Well, I think we do. Yeah. We need a strong yeah. ego. Um, we also need to make a living. Uh, we need to sort of, <laughs> you know, be in the world, but we need a strong ego because, um, especially if we're, you know, uh, now with the popularity of, uh, psychedelics, we need to have a strong ego to be able to reflect on what's going on after a, we take one of those journeys. Or if, in fact, you have a mystical experience, you need to sort of be able to have strong enough ego to be able to talk about what happened and uh, to be able to incorporate it in the process of individuation. So you, you, need, a, you need a strong ego. And therapy is often really useful for that. Get rid of all those sounds in your head. You know, I'm, I'm no good. I'm not going to make it. Uh, I've got problems. I'm, I'm never going to understand things. I'm always fascinated in the way of maybe it connects with this acceptance, um, you know, piece that we were talking about in the way of a, a shadow. This is primary, a, primarily a philosophy podcast. And something that has come up on numerous episodes is maybe mm-hmm. philosophical journaling, where we're essentially looking back at the day. How do we accept maybe where we weren't as as virtuous as we we could have been? Where that can be such a difficult thing. Uh, I think many people are maybe familiar with a popular quote that you see on social media from young as to you know. Um, basically accepting the the dark side as well to to be whole why is that so so challenging um and how would you maybe work with someone to maybe be more open to accepting maybe just you know shortcomings dark side whatever however you might say it well uh, one thing which is um, it's pretty clear that you don't want to take uh, someone, yourself or even myself, and say, okay, get down there into the darkness, you know, go really in down to the darkness. Any attempt to try and do that is fraught with danger mm. because in our consciousness, it's 50% good, but it's 50% evil as well. It's darkness in there. Um, so people can have accidents and uh, hurt themselves and so on. The idea is to to actually begin to develop, this is as far as I'm concerned as a psychoanalyst, to develop a relationship with that unconscious. And in other words, the what's coming up in you is purposeful. It's actually there to teach you. It's not there to sort of destroy you or harm you. And when as that relationship develops by dreams and, and so on, um, then the idea of something darker coming up, which it will, um, and it sort of titrates itself. It comes up as needed. Um, however that works, no one knows, but it comes up. And then there's some aspect, as I gave you before, about you know, tricky figure I had in my dream. Well, yeah, that, that sort of made, introduces me to the fact that, yeah, there are other things in there, but it's purposeful. It's for my benefit that it's come up. I need to face that um, to become more whole. Um so I think it has to be, uh, you can't do a deep dive into the, into that darkness. Sometimes people come to me, they've had, uh, ayahuasca experience or, uh, whatever, and they come up with monsters and horrible things. Uh, people said, uh, psychotic breaks, uh, uh, for all sorts of reasons of going too far, too deep. Again, I'm not talking about people who have a real trauma that they have to deal with talking about or PTSD. I'm talking about 
than someone who wants to open up to, <clears throat> to that darkness. I think, once again, you just have to do it slowly and carefully. Uh, under no circumstance, you know, hold your nose and dive in because it can swallow you whole. Uh, so people come and say, well, I was, uh, I was uh, walking down the street, but in the dream there was uh, uh, a figure behind me. It was sort of following me. It was sort of, it was sort of a, a man. And I'd, I'd say, well, you know, what does that man remind you of? He said, well, you know, somebody I met long ago. And you begin to see where the source of that darkness came up and what that person was like and the quality of it. So in answer to your question, I think um, you have to once again consent to the process, but again, put boundaries on it. You know, just don't um, say, give me everything you got, which I'm not mm -hmm. saying. But yeah, but I'm interested in exploring that. You have to have faith. If you have faith in the, in the existence and faith is the wrong word. If you have a belief from experience in the existence of something working through you, then you can begin to trust that it's all going to go your way. Things mm -hmm. will come good. And when you approach, when you reach darkness, it's there as a lesson. But I caution uh, anybody about uh, uh, trying to just figure it all out by dumping in Jumping into, uh, you know, say, okay, give me, bring on all the, all the stuff that wants you. It's no good. What about someone who is maybe they're sitting down at the end of the day and, you know, they have a blank page and they're practicing, uh, you know, this art of journaling or something and they become aware of, um, psychological projection. You mentioned pr projection early in the conversation, and maybe you could say more about that. Mm. You know, how would one, you know, I guess then what would be uh, my question? <laughs> well, the, the idea of projection is that you're projecting out an aspect of yourself which you don't want to actually face. So um, I might sort of um, walk on the street, see someone coming towards me and go, oh, God, that. That guy's hopeless, you know. You know, you know he's always, oh, he's an, I can tell he's really nasty. Well, how would I know that? I wouldn't know, except that I'm projecting out my own fears, uh, my own worries, with, which everybody has. There's nobody uh, less here uh, beyond uh, anything of a sort of rational nature. Everybody's going to project out. And we have that all the time, or we see a, um, uh, you know, a younger person that uh, we're attracted to. Um, all of a sudden, uh, that would be um, an aspect, another aspect, such as uh, a feeling, a feeling aspect, uh, which you might not have if you're totally uh, an intellectual. You might need to. Uh, and these things shock you. They, you know, why would I be so, you know, attracted to that person? Look how their skin is smooth. And, you know, and all that, and just projecting out, which is not available to them at the time, the sort of idea of their own softness or their own feeling or their own refinement, and, and so on. So that's the nature of projection, and we use that psychoanalysis all the time, psychology as well, to just say, well, hey, wait a minute, you know. What's that about? Why is that person who you haven't seen in 20 years in your dream? What was that person like? Well, person was really boring, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and also was, uh, uh, I think, uh, trying to betray me. And then you go, okay, well, let's talk about that person. In fact, what I often do is spend a lot of time talking about what that person was really like and actually getting them to uh, virtually appear in the room and say, well, what's that? What would that person say to you? What are they doing here? Why are they in your dream? So that's mm -hmm. the nature of projection. And I, I think the most difficult part of being a psychoanalyst is what's called projective identification, which is where somebody will project something onto you, like the person you're seeing, the client, and you're not aware of the fact that you 
actually have a weakness there and that you have an issue there. So all of a sudden they're putting on to you these things about, uh, you know, about sickness and all of a sudden you start feeling really ill. Now you don't know why. And that's because they're trying to turn you into something, but you haven't worked through that issue yourself as an analyst. That's why psychoanalysts as opposed to psychologists must have a, a very long psychoanalysis themselves to try and uh, be aware of their parts, which aren't going to jump out at them and cause them to, uh, not to break the proper relationship between them and the patient. Um, so projection is very powerful. How about this idea of the importance of opposites? You, you talk about in the book, um, I made a note here, the strengthening of the self occurs by an ongoing process of the reconciliation of the opposites that are brought forth from the unconscious. Yes, well, this, this was very much, uh, I mean, it's not just Jung, it's Hegel, and it's, you know, historically the idea. Uh, it exists actually in, uh, in everything, in Sufism in particular, uh, in uh, every mystical tradition, the idea that there are things which can push and pull you in different ways. Spirit and matter, um, good and evil is, a, is an easy one to work. So you have aspects which are, you know, good, you really want to help someone, but then you also have conflict about it because you think that's sort of ripping you off. The idea is that you have to find a way to deal with both of them and hold them both to be able to see both sides of them at any one time with a particular issue. And when you do that, um, as another thing arises, a way to sort of bridge the two, a third thing comes up, not just the two opposites, a third thing. And that's the basis of the self. The self is meant to hold those opposites. It stands in the middle. Um, it is the thing which actually uh, mediates between the two. So if you have those issues, but then you can step back from it and, uh, and say, well, you know, um, that both of them are fine, then that strengthens the self. That strengthens that quality which actually seeks to center you at all times. You're not pulled one way and you're not pulled the other way. Mm. That's a snapshot of, uh, of that idea, the coincidence of opposites. But, you know, they're always operating. How do you make sense of maybe us as a society still having a tough time with this thing of opposites? Maybe you could say it's a very ancient idea that, that shows up across wisdom traditions, but it seems to be such a difficult thing for us to, to hold. Well, I, I personally look at it this way. I'm very influenced by a man called Sri Aurobindo, <clears throat> who was a educated in England, who was Indian, educated in England, went to Calcutta to, um, was a professor there. Um, and he uh, then went down to what was then called Pondicherry, and around him formed this ashram. And he was, uh, to me, uh, the wisest of all people. And he said that our species is not enough to contain that self. We can't hold it. It's too big. It's in the Kabbalistic idea of the shards, the idea that we can't hold everything. It breaks into parts. We're not capable of doing it. Aurobindo's uh, idea was that there needs to be evolution. I mean, things, we're not the species that can do it. We're, I think we're, we just, we just can't settle all this. Mm. It's just too great. There's be wars and conflict and smallness. And, uh, backbiting and uh, hatreds and uh, we can't solve it doesn't mean we shouldn't try and in the process of trying something new might happen and uh, there needs to be an evolution that you know might take a thousand years might take ten thousand years something else has to emerge yeah. uh, and that's how i see it personally that gives me comfort whether it's true or not i uh, 
I, I don't <laughs> know, but it gives me a lot of comfort that um, it's going to happen eventually. But in the meantime, like with you, I, I wince at all the news and I, the latest thing of indictment and Russia yeah. and all that, you know, I, I try not to even watch it. It's just so disturbing. But I only have hope that, um, you know, these things will be resolved as we go. How else could I I'm not, as a father and grandfather, uh, sort of have these views? Yeah. yeah. Well, beautiful. I'm so grateful for your time, Les. This has really flown by. Um, we have this final wrap-up question that we that we ask everybody. How do you define or think about wisdom in, in daily life? And maybe we've been talking about that for the for the last 50 minutes or so. Yeah. But I'm curious to maybe add one thing to that in the way of this project of of the self, individuation, some of these things we talk about to connect, you know, does it connect with love? Is becoming whole, becoming wiser? in turn lead to us becoming more loving and, and compassionate with uh with one another. So yeah, just as a way to wrap it up, I'll I'll put yeah. it to you. Well before answering the question directly, I mean there's no doubt that uh that the loving is a manifestation of having worked through your shadow a bit. The capacity to get out of your own way allows you to be accordingly more loving. You might make mistakes, uh, um, will make mistakes, but nevertheless, the capacity for, uh, especially for a, a, a modern intellectual person, which we all are, is to actually uh, soften and mm. let go and uh, realize that we're all these things, good and bad. And from that comes the capacity to really Love, not love in the abstract. They always think of the metta, the loving kindness in Buddhism, you know, being able to not just love yourself, but everybody around you and them like that. And some of it has to be manifested in service. So I'm, I'm very keen, unlike perhaps some of my colleagues, and you have to work in the community as well. You can't just sit there in a little solipsistic bubble and sort of, uh, just get enlightened. Um, you have to actually. Mm -hmm be there as part of, otherwise you can't love. But in terms of uh, the question, what is wisdom? The only thing I can say is that the key to that, as best as I've observed, is just the constant process of reminding yourself that you consent. You consent to the process. You consent to the mystery taking you where you need to go. Um, sometimes you, things are insurmountable. You have a terrible pain or you're sick or you know, something like that. You can't do that. But when you can do it, you'll be able to say, okay, I consent with limitations, but I, I want to, I want it to take me. I want it to, I want it to keep on opening. And that's the only wisdom that you need. The answers are those which are not verbal. The or articulated, the answers will come by the sort of closer connection with that mystery, which is unable to be expressed. Mm. So it's not a set thing. Wisdom is X. Wisdom is just opening. To be wise enough to say, "Yeah, I'm just going to open." Well, beautiful. This is this has been great, Les. Again, I'm I'm super grateful. Your your book is becoming whole. Young's Equation for Realizing God. And I see you've got um, some newer books and maybe some some that are uh, coming out soon. Is there anything that you might want to mention to the listeners? One thing which I'm really fascinated about is that in December, we've organized a, uh, a conference called um, uh, Psychedelics and Individuation, uh, conversations with Jungian analysts, which is based on a book that I'm editing along with a colleague in California called Psychedelics and Individuation Essays by Jungian analysts, where there are 12 people who, some, for instance, one person in the Netherlands using microdosing therapy, uh, uh, 
other persons involved with the Andes people and uh, been using, uh, you know, understanding the, the whole process of ayahuasca and what's actually happening and so on. So that conference comes up in December. It's going to be a Pacifica uh, uh, Graduate Institute in California. And um, it's online um, as well. So that's a book that's going to come out. And uh, I feel that's going to open up a new dimension. There's going to be a new dimension, I think, because uh, these experiences will sort of keep on alerting people to the fact that there's something they don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. There's something new that's going to happen. And uh, so I feel that's a, that's a sort of new starting point. Everybody's very nervous in the psychoanalytic community because how do we mm -hmm. take all this learning that we've had and say, okay, well, you know, where does that fit in now? What do we do? It's like, how do we deal with it? How can we, do we help or do we just talk about it or, and so on? So, um, that would be the thing that would be, that's forthcoming for me at the moment. Well, looking forward to that. And I, I appreciate you, you sharing it. We'll, uh, put links to all sorts of stuff in the show notes. So it's easy to find for the listeners. So Les Stein, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. Thanks, Josh. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If so, I encourage you to put what you heard into practice. You can learn more at perennialleader.com. There you'll find links to show notes. Until next time, be wise and be well.